Welcome to Up Next with Tommy Lee, with influential Christian leaders sharing their passions and purpose in personal conversations. Up Next is brought to you in partnership with the Gospel and Our Cities Conference with Tim Keller, coming to Chicago in 2018. And now, founder and president of Resource Global, managing partner of Barnabas Group Chicago, and your host on Up Next, Tommy Lee. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Up Next. As usual, I am joined by two co-hosts. Today, I have Mary Potter. Welcome, Mary. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me. And Sandy Hamstra. Thanks, Tommy. It's good to be here. Well, today on the phone, we actually have a very sophisticated guest because we have two very sophisticated hosts, Mary and Sandy. <laughs> That's a new description word. <laughs> because usually when I have Jimmy and Kenson here, we're talking about Spider-Man, about <laughs> Batman and Superman. So today we're going to talk about a serious topic. And on the line today, we have Morgan Lee. She is the Associate Digital Media Producer for Christianity Today. So, Morgan, Welcome. So good to be here. Hi, everyone. Hey, Morgan. Morgan, you probably heard our open. We are going to just talk about serious topics today versus uh, <laughs> when I'm with the other two guys, we talk about other goofy things. That's right. <laughs> Women hate having fun. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> record. Oh, wait till the second half of our interview when we start going through the fun questions. <laughs> There's a lot of great questions lined up. I hope we do get through a lot of this stuff. Morgan, she's one of my favorite people to talk to. Honestly, I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> she really is great. I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to this, and I know that we're going to have a really substantive conversation. Um, but, you know, it's one of the things that I do here at my job at Christianity Today, and so I'm completely prepared to go there and dive in. Awesome. So, Morgan, just to start out, I'll let Sandy and Mary take over, is like Christianity Today, when people think, well, it's got started by Billy Graham. It's a magazine, and a lot of people just don't read magazines very much. But you're doing something different. You're helping to usher Christianity Today in the 21st century, especially in the area of social media, digital platform. Talk a little bit about your role with CT. Yeah, so when I when I tell people a little bit about the type of work that I do, I kind of laugh because my title is digital media producer, but I always start out by saying I work for a magazine. And so maybe that's just me telling the story a little bit incorrectly there or misleading because while Christianity Today does produce a magazine, I think it's more accurate to think of it as a evangelical media company, if that makes sense. So I have been hosting a podcast for the past two years. We recently recorded our 100th episode. The podcast is known as Quick to Listen. It is a show that looks at a current event that Christians are maybe arguing about or at least talking about a lot. And we do our best to bring in an expert and have someone take off some of the heat around the issue and give more context for people understanding things. Mm. So I've been the host of that podcast since 2016, and it's something I do with our editor-in-chief, Mark Galley, here. And then the other part of my role when it comes to digital stuff would also be doing our social media. I run our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And so some of that work would entail you know, pushing out anything that we have actually published today. But there's another part of it as well, which is also kind of seeing what people are talking about and mm-hmm. finding content that we have in our archives that often really speaks to what people are still talking about, even if it's, you know, something that seems like it just came up or is just in the headlines now. Mm-hmm. And it's been really cool and rewarding to be able to share with, you know, our readers things that we've written about and spent a lot of time thinking about that are applicable, even if the article maybe 
from five or ten years ago. Mm. Got it, got it. Sandy. That's interesting. Hey, so one of the things we wanted to talk um, today about is your interview with Rachel Den Hollander. Um, and before I go into some of those questions, how did that? How did the interview come to be um, for you for you to write about that? Can you give us a little backstory on that? Absolutely. So this is actually the back. Backpack. Yeah, and I was going to say too, maybe if people don't know who that is or what that story is, just to—I mean—that's a huge thing. But just to provide a brief background. And Sandy Morgan, actually, ah. before you start, let me just do one thing. You are listening to Up Next on AM eleven sixty. That's Up Next AM eleven sixty. Morgan, go ahead. Got to get that in. So let me just kind of give a give a couple of little, like little background details that are are relevant here. So one, I did gymnastics. My me and my sisters did gymnastics growing up, mm. and I did not do it nearly as long as my sisters did, but we all competed in gymnastics, and it was a pretty big part of our lives. And because of that, I would say that I still like end up paying attention to different gymnastics headlines, maybe a little bit more than the person who's just watching it during the Olympics every <laughs> <Yeah>. four years. <laughs> like me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great thing to get into, though. Um, <laughs> I could help you with that. No, but uh, but I will like look and see what's going on with this. And a couple years ago, I started a newsletter with one of my friends about the intersection of sports and social justice issues mm-hmm. called Foul Affair. And part of that was because we just noticed that we were paying a lot of attention to stories in the sports world that seemed to also touch on larger and bigger ideas. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, when Rachel first went to the Indy Star back in 2016 and said, hey, I have been one of Larry Nasser's victims. Larry Nasser here is, he was a team doctor for USA Gymnastics, and he was also on staff at Michigan State. When she decided to go on record and, and tell the Indy Star that she had been abused by him, she, um, I, I saw that story and I read that story, and so I, I'd been tracking that for a number of years by the time that Rachel Den Hollander ended up giving what were her closing remarks out of this like very like remarkable and to some extent unprecedented session that the judge had. Yeah. So the yeah. long story short in this case is that um, Nasser had abused hundreds of women, um, but in this particular instance, he was being convicted of crimes um, for a much smaller number. I want to say it was like under a dozen. Yet, even though it was only for a small amount of the people who had actually been his victims, the judge decided to allow those that saw themselves as survivors, or those that were survivors of Nasser, um, to come forth and give impact statements about what had happened to them and to address him personally. And so there were multiple days that this took place because there are so many victims of what Nasser did. Um, You know, almost all of them are gymnasts who thought they were getting treated for an injury um, and instead Mm. victims of sexual abuse. And Um. Rachel was the last person to give her statement. So she, in other words, was the first person to go public with her name. But when it came time for this impact statement thing, she was the first one to, or she was the last one to go. And so I was following some of Rachel's remarks and I saw people tweeting about the fact that she had quote unquote shared the gospel. And so to me, it seemed like this was a very like, easy entry point to kind of take us what had been a sports story in many ways Mm -hmm. and bring it um, in front of the church in a way that felt very natural because Mm -hmm. she had gone up there and talked about her faith. And so um, I contacted her husband, who was the only one of that family that was on Twitter at the time, and 
he said that she would love to talk to us. And that was on Wednesday right after her remarks came. And then stuff came up on Thursday for that family and stuff came up on Friday. And so I was kind of thinking it wasn't going to pan out. And, but I messaged them again that Monday and did the interview later that afternoon. Wow. Wow. It's incredible that she was the first to go and the last, first to start and the last to go. I know. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, well, Morgan, another question for you. As a reporter and editor, it's your job to keep your finger on the pulse of Christianity today and have an understanding of the hot topics that are affecting the church and individual believers around the world. Um, in your opinion, is, is sexual mis- misconduct in the church, especially misconduct that is perpetrated or enabled by our leaders, um, is this particular sin in the church a growing trend, or is it something that has simply been brushed under the rug and kept quiet for centuries? I personally think it's the latter. There are more ways for survivors to make their stories known today, and I don't necessarily think that the human sin condition, I guess, has changed that much in the thousands of years. And in fact, it seems like you know any population that has disproportionately been um, subject to sex abuse probably had even less power um, over sharing that story um, before this past decade. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely does not seem like a new thing. It just seems like that we are being able to to be made more aware of it. Going back to your um, interview, and we've got like about two and a half minutes before we take a quick break. Um, but going back to your interview with Rachel, who is one of the survivors um, in the Larry Nasser case, she mentioned how quickly prominent evangelical leaders called for accountability during the Penn State scandal. Um, but how when the scandal is in their own community, they may many immediately vilify the victims. And in the interview, you, you asked her, why are we capable of seeing evil in other communities but not our own? Um, she cited a fear of ruining the reputation of the church or a celebrated leader, but also the perception that the reputation of the gospel of Christ will be tainted. Um, so a question for you. What do you think needs to change in Christian community before we can begin to hold each other accountable in these ways, you know? I think a a huge thing is just recognizing the full impact of sin that people are capable of. Mm -hmm. And that I think sometimes it almost seems like we're we're shocked when we see high prominent people transgress in a particular way. As if as if somehow they had, you know, spiritually matured past the point where they would no longer be sinning anymore. Right. Rather than just assuming that, you know, even though they ha- were nurturing this very close relationship with God, they also struggled with something at the same time or multiple things. Yeah. Um, but, but somehow our leaders, it seems, that we, we end up sending off the wrong impression that, like, okay, well, spiritual maturity means that you obviously don't sin anymore, and you definitely don't sin in egregious ways, and so we've kind of cultivated this like image of perfection Mm -hmm. in my mind around them so that when accusations do come out, it leaves us dumbfounded and it then feels like, Oh wow, you're attacking the gospel. And also that comes too with like, you know, to it. So in my opinion, associating the Christian message too much with a particular person. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The pedestal. Um, Putting them on a pedestal as if there's an example And obviously, I think all of us Christians, like, struggle with that. I mean, and who among us doesn't want to have, like, spiritual role models to look up to? I don't think it's a bad tendency to want to, to, you know, admire people in their spiritual walk. Um, But I do think it would be a little bit easier if we just recognize that, like, there's none of us that can really escape, you know, the darker parts of ourselves. Right. Um, And that's something that we constantly need Jesus for, not just, you know, the day that we became a Christian. Got it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Morgan, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to you uh, with part two of our conversation. So stay right back, and we'll be right back. AM 1160. Dr. Tim Keller, founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and best-selling author, is coming to Chicago for the Gospel and Our Cities Conference. In the book of Jonah, God sends his prophet to the great city of Nineveh to uh, preach to it, to reach it, and he shows a great deal of disdain, and God rebukes Jonah and says, how can you look at all those people who don't know their right hand from their left and not have compassion on that great city? Uh, the churches of today should have compassion on the city and should care about the city. Please come to Chicago, the third largest city in our country, which will be a wonderful backdrop for a meeting of men and women who want to reach their respective North American cities with the gospel, doing both holistic uh, transformation, evangelism, and bringing about conversions. Please come and join us. Find out more at thegospelandourcities.org. That's thegospelandourcities.org. Resource Global is cultivating the potential of young professionals all over the world to maximize their reach and restore their cities with the gospel. 60% of our waking hours are spent in the workplace. Therefore, it is a significant time for gospel impact. As young professionals grow in their careers, we provide in-depth training, and we also provide mentoring to integrate their faith and work. And we want them to use their influence and skills to impact their city. I know of no other organization besides Resource Global that is doing its exact ministry. Going to places, finding young people and pastors and teachers who want to bring together their collective wisdom to encourage one another in things of faith and work. I want to invite you to join us as we continue to grow the network of young professionals in strategic cities around the world. I invite you to join us to make a difference in these cities through these individuals and to make a difference for tomorrow. AM 1160. Welcome back to Up Next with Tommy Lee. Brought to you in partnership with the Gospel and Our Cities Conference with Tim Keller. Coming to Chicago in 2018. Well, welcome back to an episode of Up Next. Right before a break, we were having a conversation with Morgan Lee in regards just to an interview that she had on Christianity Today. Hey, Morgan, let me ask you a quick question. Even as you have written that article and you're just interacting with readers, audience, church pastors, are they responding in a positive manner? Are they uh, resistant to it? Are they making arguments for pastors or churches? What's the reaction that you're receiving that you're finding? I thought that the response to this interview that I did with Rachel Den Hollander was pretty overwhelmingly positive. Rachel touches on a variety of subjects in here, I would say, addressing evil, um, combating grave, grave injustice, um, where God's goodness is in the midst of really difficult things, um, what sex abuse advocacy looks like. And I think that she really has a lot to, to challenge people on, but because she also covers a wide breadth, I think there's a lot for people kind of like to take in and feel really like she's speaking to them. I think the hardest part with all of these things, and I think maybe sex abuse allegations do this more than others, is, you know, when undoubtedly you find yourself in a similar situation where someone that is close to you has been accused of something that you you know, maybe viscerally feel like, no, they didn't do that, or no, it wasn't that bad. Um, it would be applying those particular principles and things that she talks about in that situation. Um, because, it, you know, for, for many of us, it's just so much easier to, to read and not along and to see that truth that's right there and, and recognize it as such 
and then at the same time when when something comes that we weren't prepared for to kind of retreat um to get defensive um to dismiss maybe voices that we should be hearing and listening mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. mary actually can i ask one more question with morgan as a follow-up Mary, I mean, Mary, Morgan, your founder of CT was Dr. Billy Graham. And I think a lot of times everyone knows Dr. Graham was just so very careful about the positions that he placed himself mm-hmm. in and everything like that. As an employee of CT, but as someone who has probably looked at the life of Dr. Graham, how do we respond to how he lived his life? Is it something, I think a lot of times people say, well, that's just outdated. That was the old way of doing things. How do us as Christians still respond to how Dr. Graham lived his life as it's applicable to the culture that we live in today? I've been thinking about this so much lately. We have a particular piece as part of the special issue on Billy Graham that Christianity Day put out, and it's called Lead Us Not Into Scandal, and it Mm -hmm. essentially walks through the very, very intentional ways that Billy Graham set up his ministry, like structured his ministry, to, to keep it away from you know, so much as a hint of indiscretion. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not to pretend that, like, there weren't personal failings that Billy Graham had along the way. I, he acknowledges that he wished he'd, he wished he'd been a more present father, right? Yeah. Or he regrets his um, friendship with Richard Nixon. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. there are other ways in which Billy Graham was very cognizant of his own fallibility in that he was someone that did not did not want to be ever in such a place where people kind of venerated and esteemed him so much as to kind of let him get away with doing something mm-hmm. that he regret. So, I mean, to me, this is something actually that was echoed in a, in a Beth Moore piece that we ran recently that talks about accountability and celebrity and Christian celebrity culture. I don't think that integrity is something that we just accidentally have happened to us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't think anyone just like ends up living their life and they're like, wow, I just always did the right thing. Shocking. <laughs> I wasn't even trying that hard. That would be great. Uh, it would be so great, you know? And I think sometimes we think like, oh, my good intentions are going to be enough for me to live this like life of good character, right? But I think the wisest people recognize that it actually doesn't really have to do with a lot of our good intentions. It's how we kind of like have these like larger systems around us that can help protect us because all of us, you know, have only so much desire to do good so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan, another question for you. Uh, Rachel stated that her status as a victim was used against her advocacy for other victims because church leaders accused her of being biased based on her own experiences. Um, a reporter's job is to relay a balanced factual account based on research, testimonies, evidence. I'm speaking from your own experience, when an accusation is made against a church member or a church or ministry leader, how should it be handled um, in a way that neither vilifies the victim nor wrongfully smears the name of the accused, um, should that accusation prove to be untrue? I mean, I think that as a reporter, it's going to depend on who's making the accusation. I, I mean, there's different like levels of like how we decide to report on what. So first mm-hmm. of all, that will sometimes come into play and whether or not we're going to pursue the story. Um, But I I do think that, like, reporters, part of their job is to do as much digging as they can into getting into the weeds when they're going to publish something that's going to be really big, because reporters are going to have more access. So when, for instance, if you're sitting with a friend who is disclosing something to you, I think your role in that position is to act as a friend. Um, And and that would entail believing your friend. Um, for a reporter who's going to be in the place where they have the position to 
you know, spread information at such a larger scale than you do when you're just talking to your friends, um, it is really important to, to do the work that the general public is not able to do. And that means talking to as many different people as possible to understand what's going on in particular situations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily going off one person's word or another. Um, yeah, I would, yeah, that's where I would kind of start. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, let me do this. Uh, You are listening to AM 1160, up next on AM 1160. Sandy, go ahead. Uh, Morgan, something I found so interesting is that that Rachel said is that uh, her story and impact statement that she shared have been published by countless media outlets. But she said she found it interesting that every single Christian publication or speaker has mentioned uh, her statement is that they focus on the aspect of forgiveness, which is, of course, a powerful thing. But very few of them have recognized what else comes with that statement, which was swift and intentional pursuit of God's justice. Uh, forgiveness and justice, obviously, both biblical concepts. In your opinion, why are Christian publications specifically more comfortable talking about forgiveness and instead of justice? And what, what's the danger in this? Yeah, I mean... Forgiveness is just only one of those things that's one of the most beautiful parts of the Christian faith and the Christian walk. Mm-hmm. And we at Christianity Today have a section called Testimonies, and in the testimony section is people from all different walks of life talking about how they found Jesus. It's been consistently one of our most read sections, right? And so I, I think that there is this, this sense of seeing, seeing our faith out there in terms of forgiveness and, and being really attracted to that message, mm-hmm. you know, especially for people who became Christians um, at a point in their life where they were a little bit more aware of the sins that they had right. committed. Um, and so I, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the urge in many times to show forgiveness is actually a good urge. I think that what happens sometimes is that particular way of emphasizing forgiveness or a seen forgiveness is that we just kind of can do that at, at the risk of overlooking, you know, this other thing that God has. Now, I think part of it is just because God's justice is is challenging to understand. I mean, this is a concept that theologians are constantly trying to get in the weeds of and, and help us understand more. And a lot of us don't necessarily, like, really know when we're seeing God act in a just way or when God is not acting right. in a just way. We've also seen lots of people proclaim particular things as acts of God's judgment (laughs) and then maybe felt like that was not actually what was going on Uh, and and that they were abusing that idea of naming God's judgment in there. Um, But yeah, I I, I don't know. I think it it gets murkier as far as forgiveness can feel a little bit more explicit explicit in terms of what forgiveness actually looks like when obviously it feels like more palatable as Mm well. Um, and then again, just sometimes it is just not really being as conscious as we should be about the reality of sin, right. I would just say. Right. Got it. Morgan, in our last two minutes left, let me ask you one question. One last question is, what is the encouragement that you will give to the church? You've now been a reporter. You've reported on this situation. You've done a lot of thinking and reflection upon that. As a writer, as a Christian leader, what's your encouragement to the church as we're addressing these situations? So my encouragement to the church is that there is real energy around this movement and that we should be really thankful to God that there is and that people feel brave enough coming forward to share these particular stories and what's going on. I think a lot of times about just the fact that Rachel 
really relied on her faith when she decided that she was going to go forward and put her name in that particular article that revealed about what happened. Um, and it's it's incredible, really, to think about the fact that, you know, dozens of women were willing to show up and share their own impact statements about what happened, but it started with one person who had experienced that, even though dozens of them had experienced that, right? Yeah. Um, and to the extent that we can, we should be, I, I personally think we should assume that, you know, lots of other survivors of heinous things sit in the church right now, and how can we empower the people that have had those experiences to be catalysts to come up and share their stories that will then catalyze other people. I mean, unfortunately, with those types of things, it's one, recovering from this type of trauma is something that is not always possible, but right. it's definitely not possible ever if it's never spoken about right. and never talked mm, about right. before, not brought to accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I again, I think it's an opportunity if we wanted to be out there to make these people feel more comfortable than they ever had to be able to share their stories in church and to really think fundamentally about how we in church understand authority structures and powers um, and maybe do some rearranging with all of that to make those people feel the safest ever to share their stories. Mm. You got it. Morgan, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more information to hear previous uh, podcasts and uh, actually interviews on UpNext, go to UpNext.City. That is www.UpNext.City. Sandy, Mary, Morgan, thank you very much and have a good weekend, Thanks, everyone. Tommy. You too, Tommy. You've been listening to Up Next with host Tommy Lee, getting to know another influential leader. To hear past episodes, visit upnext.city. That's upnext.city. Up Next is brought to you in partnership with The Gospel and Our Cities Conference in Chicago, October 2018. Join Tommy for Up Next, Saturdays at 3.30 on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.